Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Also, if you are a therapist, dietitian, or helping professional and you work with people with disordered eating or who are struggling with eating and weight concerns, uh, I have a free tool for you that I had way too much fun developing. So I, I developed this after a workshop we did recently. To be honest, I don't exactly know how many people listen to this podcast that are professionals versus individuals. So if you are a professional listening to this podcast, feel free to shoot me an email or say hello. If you're someone who you've been working with a client and maybe a client says something like, I really like intuitive eating, but I ultimately really want to lose weight, or in your opinion, they just, they have a hard time not focusing on weight loss and you notice it kind of gets in the way of them doing what they want to do or getting in touch with their body. And as a professional, you're not necessarily sure the best ways to guide them because maybe you understand why they want to lose weight, but you're also, um, you want the best for them and you want them to build up their own self-trust, but you're not sure what to do. You might empathize with them. You might tell them the science about dieting and weight loss and um, trying to convince them to not to diet, but ultimately you might feel a little bit stuck. So how can you help them explore what's right for them? without imposing your own agenda, which tends to backfire. So I created this free step-by-step guide to walk you through my number one favorite exercise. This is based on internal family systems theory, my favorite thing, Um, and it helps you help your clients navigate this nuanced dynamic with the different parts of them that still want to lose weight. As a professional, it's my favorite way to help clients build trust while also taking the pressure off of me as a professional to know the exact right advice to give or say. So it's a really great tool. It's a win-win. You can grab it for free and exactly how to do it at drhondorp, D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash parts, P-A-R-T-S. So grab it for free today at drhondorp.com forward slash parts. And if you use it with a client, make sure you email me and let me know. All right, and just as a reminder, this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should never be construed as any form of professional advice. If you need a professional to guide you, please, please get one. All right, everyone, let's dive in. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. So if you've been a listener before, you know that I've stopped doing solo episodes because I don't like them. And so today we have a special topic 
based on someone who is in our community and we have a special guest. So today with me, I have Taylor Walker, one of our new wonderful psychology and wellness interns who I'm really excited to have Taylor here today. Taylor's been as, as all the interns have been really great and really enthusiastic. And I'm going to have you introduce yourself in a moment, Taylor, but you've been, you know, really wanting uh, to dive in and get into this is a area of strong interest for you for a long time. And so I'm super excited to have you here with me on the podcast to have a conversation about this important topic, which is, uh, you know, if you clicked on this, the title is how to convince your clients to go to therapy. So this is sort of geared more towards uh, this question did come from a lovely dietitian and, you know, potentially other helping professionals um, who might be working with someone on their relationship with food and who want to kind of make a case for the wonderful benefits of therapy. So that's what we're going to be diving into today. Welcome, Taylor. Thank you. I'm so excited. A little bit about me. I just recently graduated from San Diego State University this past month with a psychology degree and minor in counseling and social change. And for my last semester, I kind of dabbled in a couple of nutrition classes and found more passion. So I just kind of want to integrate all my passions of psychology, health, nutrition, wellness. So I'm currently studying at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, and I'm really enjoying this internship. So yeah, I'm really excited for this conversation. Yay. Yeah. So we're going to be answering this kind of comment or question that I got. Um, and the question is, I'd love to know ways that I as a dietitian can support my clients um, and even ways to help nudge them towards working with a therapist if they're not already. Are there simple ways to help explain the importance of therapy, mindset, stress on weight loss goals? Um, any books, trainings, or other resources you could share would be wonderful. So yeah, thank you so much for that awesome question, Amy. So yeah, we're going to be diving into that topic. Take it away. So if someone is listening and they are a dietitian, health coach, or other healthcare professional, and they're working with someone who they really think would benefit from therapy, what tips would you give them to help them say that something is helpful? First of all, when you're working with anyone, you want to figure out where they're at and what what they're currently thinking or believing about therapy. Have they gone to therapy maybe and found it not so helpful? Do they maybe still have a stigma about therapy? You know, I think in some ways that's shifting and improving. There's a lot of things that we want to be able to help anyone do and say, we'll have some like specific language that we can talk about here. We first need to know where they're at and what their barriers are. And it's easy to make assumptions, but if it's a client that you feel comfortable with, or even if it's an intake session, just being like, hey, what's your experience been with therapy so far? Um, so first we need to assess, right? First we need to just know where are they at now? And do they have any hesitations about therapy? That's the thing that I would say first. Yeah. Any questions about that at all? <laughs> I think one thing you really said is if they've gone to therapy before and it didn't really mesh well, there's a whole thing about learning. I've heard someone say that therapy is like dating. <laughs> yeah. So even 100%. people gone and haven't thought it was helpful. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I share, I've shared before that I've gone to therapy a number of different times and I've really only found a couple experiences deeply helpful <laughs> and more recently 
for anyone out there, if your your clients or you have been like, eh, it just wasn't really helpful to me, I kind of have a bias. I think part of the reason that therapy maybe isn't always helpful, two things. One, number one is always the relationship. So the dating example um, that you give is perfect because it's we can't always put our finger on why dating may not feel right but sometimes it just doesn't feel right right there's something about the relationship the rapport that just isn't a fit and we don't have to analyze that we can just move forward and be like I'm just not that into that person or they're just not that into me right um and that's fine (laughs) and so there's the relationship piece um also most therapy, and this might have been my personal bias based on my personal training. A lot of therapy is very cognitive based. So in our heads, analyzing our thoughts. And while that can be helpful and really appeal to those of us who love thinking and science and analyzing, if therapy doesn't eventually incorporate the body and the somatic experience, it may not really get you where you want to go. That's something that I would usually encourage someone seeking therapy to know, you know, as a therapist, what is their approach? Um, Are they going to incorporate the body and that mind-body connection? And if not, not that they wouldn't have value for the person, right? But that maybe they wouldn't get to that deeper level of help and healing that um, many of us are seeking. Mm -hmm, Definitely. If someone says that's a good idea, I should, but then they continue to not take steps towards therapy. Mm -hmm. What's your advice on that? Yeah. So you might have a client for, let's say you've suggested, Hey, I think it'd be really great for you to address this. I'm not trained as a dietitian to work fully with this specific trauma or So they're like, yeah, I'm totally on board, right? But they, each time they come back and see you and you're like, hey, did you end up seeking out therapy? And they're like, no, (laughs) this happens for me a lot when I refer to see the vice versa. So when I refer to see a dietitian, um, there might be different barriers. And so just really ask and say, hey, we did talk about this. You seemed like you were on board and you haven't taken the steps, like no pressure, truly, like, I'm just curious, is there a reason? And not making assumptions, because I think a lot of people will say, it's just the time, or I just haven't had time yet. And that might be true, right? It might be as simple as it fell off the radar, and they haven't had the time, or they're kind of just really busy. So they're not, they're like, I want to do it, but I'm not sure where it fit into my schedule. It really may be as simple as that, but for a lot of people too, you can just get curious and say, hmm, okay, that absolutely could be the case. And if that is, that's just something to kind of be aware of and helping them do a little problem solving. Is there a time you can put it on the calendar or what's helped you to follow through on changes you want to make in the past? If this is something that is really important to you, or do you feel like I'm kind of pushing you and you're like, hey, I'm just not quite ready yet, which is totally fine too. But you could also look at what other fears they might have. That's an opportunity to get curious of, you know, are they worried that they'll dig into stuff and it'll be too overwhelming and it won't really feel helpful or it'll feel like a waste of time. It, it takes time to connect and build a relationship with a new provider. And so I think that's probably the biggest one. I could be wrong. Maybe that's my bias. But I think a lot of times people are like, that's it's a lot of work to work with a new provider. You have to start all over and share your stuff with them. And what if it's not a fit or they don't get me? That can be really painful. Do all that work to be vulnerable. And mm-hmm. I actually recently went on a search for my own new therapist, it was six months ago, I, I think I had a very upsetting experience where I talked to a provider on the phone and shared some stuff about myself and they 
kind of said like, well, I, I would ref- maybe refer out for this. Like it felt sort of rejecting to me. And I was like, what the heck? Like, yeah, it's just sort of like, I was like, so I'm just too much for you. So I know I've said that in this, if we've had past experiences in our life where we were either told we're too much or we felt like we were too much, maybe no one ever said it, but I think a lot of times, especially women are be good, small, keep your feelings inside. That can be really upsetting to parts of ourselves that already feel that shame and burden, like, oh gosh, I guess I am too much for this provider. So I think I want to acknowledge like the vulnerability. If that happens, that provider was not for you, that happened. And then the very next provider they referred me to was the person I've been working with for six months. And it's been the most helpful therapy experience I've ever had. And I've tried several different therapists. It's like so helpful and so worth it. And it can feel rejecting if some, even if someone's like, I have a wait list, like I currently have a wait list right now. And I hate sharing that with people because I don't know, it's, I don't want to disappoint people. Um, but it's disappointing. I think if you reach out and take that step, which can be really hard. So as a dietitian or other helping professional can be helpful if you're willing Whatever you're willing to self-disclose, you're not going to project your stuff onto them and assume they feel like you do. But if you're getting the sense and you know this person, you could self-disclose a little bit. And if you hear them say something first to be like, yeah, it's for a lot of people, it's really vulnerable. And, and even though we might know it's good for us, it's still a vulnerable thing to do. And I know I felt like that at times myself, if that's true for you as a provider, because I think that can go a long way. So that's something that you know, self-disclosure, you know, as therapists, I don't actually know the dietitian traditional training about self-disclosure. That's actually an interesting question. Um, I'm sure it varies based on training, but as therapists, we're told not to disclose, but a lot of that comes from really traditional models of psychotherapy. Like the therapist has got it all figured out and we're on a pedestal and we're this blank slate versus we're human too. And I'm much more on board with the second model of care now. Yeah. It makes me wonder, would you have any ideas for how professionals or providers could frame a certain way to say that they have a wait list so it doesn't feel rejecting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. There's so many different ways to, if you have a wait list, like it's not the same at all. But for me, I do say, you know, I do have a wait list. Here's my current wait list. Here's some information about my practice. At the end, I do have some information about like the podcast and blog. And for me, that feels like something where you can connect and learn from me in a different way. Not everyone's going to choose to do that, or it's not, of course, a replacement for therapy. But I think one thing that I'm very excited and passionate about is helping people to figure out How can you offer the unique service that you offer in a way that feels sustainable for you as a provider, but also good for clients who are a great fit to work with you? Whatever feels authentic and and empathic, but to say like, not apologize about having a wait list, because I think that that we don't need to apologize for our own limits as providers. I think that can be a slippery slope where you're like, the term would be sort of codependent of like, I'm so sorry. Like it's almost like reinforcing that they need you and you're the only one that can help them, which is not true. Right. One way is to be like, I'm trying to really practice what I preach at this point. My current one-on-one caseload is full. If there's other ways that you're innovatively thinking about meeting other people, meeting more needs of this client base, you could share that. But I think it is really important for the provider to not feel guilt of being able to cut off their caseload when it feels um, sustainable for them because 
a burnout provider is not going to be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Totally. This is kind of random. I have acupuncture appointments and she's also my integrative doctor. So I'll ask her random questions about supplements and whatnot. And she has on her email, she has an automatic email reply that says, I'm trying to practice what I preach. Please give me 36 to 48 business hours to answer your emails. So kind mm-hmm. of labeling that it was her trying to practice what she preaches rather than, oh, she's ignoring my emails. Yep. I've seen that before. That's a great idea. I do that when I go on vacation. Well, I didn't this past vacation, but it was short. <laughs> I actually forgot my email away message, but um, normally when I'm going on vacation, I say something to that effect. So I love that. And I think people really appreciate that. Actually, even today, I I had a therapy session earlier today for myself personally. And mid session, I said, I have to use the rest. I had to go to the bathroom. And she was like, of course. And she shared that a colleague of hers will mid session say, I'm going to take a break and use the restroom, or I'm going to go get a drink of water to normalize that it's okay to have needs. And it's okay to not meet everyone else's needs immediately, right? So as therapists, we're really socialized to like, go to the bathroom real quick between sessions. And when it was my own session, I didn't really feel bad being like, I'm distracted. I'm just going to go to the bathroom and be right back. Hopefully we're doing a better job of normalizing that providers are human, but yes, and we have needs too. And I think the more that we can normalize and, and acknowledge that, the more, I don't know, it normalizes needing support and just creating that environment would also probably subconsciously potentially nudge your clients to seek support in other ways. I mean, maybe, maybe not, but mm-hmm. yeah. Or even build a stronger relationship, like realizing that mm-hmm. you're the, so human and makes mistakes and has to go to the bathroom mid-session. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, I think is important to say. Um, I believe the more I do this work, like there's so many different types of providers and you don't necessarily, you can all providers, therapists, dietitians, naturopathic doctors or acupuncturists, like they all can have unique things to offer. And it's that human connection piece that's so healing. And so maybe your client needs to, and would really benefit from therapy. I'm biased, but I think most people would. And maybe as a dietitian or helping provider, you're never going to cross that line across your license and do therapy. But I think also working to say, how can I help my clients know that all parts of them are welcome in our sessions? And if I am, you know, going back to the initial question, if I am sort of noticing that they're really fixated on weight loss, let's say, you know, they're working with a dietitian and they're energy and brain fog and all these other things. This actually relates to a deeper uh, question that Amy kind of asked is they're all getting better, but they're still so focused on the scale isn't moving. As far as I know from many dietitians, um, that can be frustrating. They're like, but look at all the things you've done, like really wanting people to be able to acknowledge their progress and feel good about the work that you've helped them do. But I think one of the things that I'm pretty passionate about is helping people to understand that that weight loss, maybe restrictive part that's so fixated on that has been there for a reason. And as a dietitian, you can notice what are your own activated parts when you're like, just feel good, (laughs) like just feel good about our work. And I think working on that as a dietitian, hmm, what is that? Why, why is that part coming up in me? Why do I need them to feel good about our work together versus can I 
help that part step back so I can just get curious about. Most of our clients do have weight loss or restrictive parts that'll show up in different forms. And that's what kind of our most recent workshop and some of our workshops are geared towards being able to say like that part of you as a client is welcome. Going back to the initial question of like, how can we explain the impact of mindset? That part of you that wants to lose weight and is really fixated on the number of the scale not moving makes a ton of sense. It's probably been really protective for you and, and getting curious about the intention of that part. Like what if, if you didn't focus on weight loss, what's the fear? So that's a nice question to ask to just help uncover what that would be like for them to relinquish that goal because it can be really scary. And also helping them know, not in a way of like give up the weight loss goal, that's bad, but helping them know that if we don't help that part of you relax, you may not achieve that deeper level of healing that that, that you might want. That deeper level of connecting with intuition that most people would love to have. And maybe they don't think it's possible, right? They're like, no, I'm always going to be fixated on my body size to some extent. But um, for most of us, fixation with body size has been a protective part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if there is an underlying part to this, which is maybe when you would say health coaching services or dietitians may not be enough and therefore like outsource. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that could be a nice transition to say this restrictive weight loss part is welcome in our sessions and we want to understand and get curious about the function and what will really help you to let go of that whether we call it diet mentality or restrictive thinking or what will really help you release that is probably a deeper level of healing that might require um, a trained therapist that really doing that work with someone who's trained and confident in that work could be the difference that makes the difference that helps you to finally feel good about all these changes that you've made versus still being mad that the number on the scale didn't move. Or sometimes when people like it may or may not happen. And I think relinquishing control of the weight loss piece is the hardest thing for people. But when we really help that restrictive stress part go down, maybe that is the thing that allows your body to go to the weight that it's going to feel best at. And maybe that does result in weight loss, right? Being able to say that and kind of give that like hope that that deeper level of healing is possible. And then, of course, it's logistically super helpful if you have a therapist to refer to that has availability and works with that client's financial (laughs) needs, right? Like, I think, and that's obviously one of the barriers. That's where it's just really nice to build those relationships. Mm -hmm. And even more so helpful if you know the client's needs and how they would best fit a specific therapist. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Is there some type of intrinsic and extrinsic? Like if we go to motivational interviewing, how you don't want to push them. It has to be their own choice. Would this play a part here to help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of depends on the client's goals, right? So I think you'd always, I guess I probably would have been good to start with this, but really going back to what are their goals? Maybe their goal is weight loss, right? That might be one of their goals in seeing a dietitian or health professional. Maybe it's feeling great in their body, right? And so really tying that to, hey, these are your initial goals. And these are the areas where it seems like we've made progress. Is that right? Checking that out. And 
it seems like maybe you'd like to even feel more peace with your relationship with food. Is that right? And checking that out. And then maybe saying like, yeah, one suggestion I have related to that would be to consider working with a therapist. That team-based approach is one thing I say a lot of times when I refer to dietitians is I see the people that do that team-based approach have the best outcomes. Um, doesn't mean it's required. It doesn't mean you have to see a therapist, but um, it tends to work the best for most people. And it's totally up to you if you do it. So that's where the autonomy piece comes in and the not pressuring them, but to just say, hey, these are your goals and here's where I think you could get there faster. Totally. Can we talk a little bit about the Mind Over Milkshakes study and how it could connect to this question? It's so interesting. (laughs) Yes, of course. One of my favorite studies is the the milkshake study, which is, I think it was back in 2007. Um, So Aaliyah Crum has a really cool lab at Stanford that does a bunch of this work now related to mindset and a lot of eating stuff, although they do other work as well and biology. So the, the milkshake study is the study where participants were randomly assigned to get a milkshake. They were nutritionally the same milkshake. I believe they were about two or 300 calories and each shake, and they're exactly nutritionally the same. But one of the shakes was labeled the Sensa shake, and it was said it was, you know, low calorie, low fat, I believe. And hold, it was lower, I want to say 120 calories or something. Is that right? Here, I can read it straight from it. It was like 380 calorie milkshake under the pretense that it was either a 620 calorie indulgent shake labeled mm-hmm. in minute. Or 140 calorie shake labeled sensible. Okay, great. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. So they were, yeah, labeled different. And so they had them drink these shakes and then they had them hooked up to something that was measuring the level of ghrelin, which is a hormone associated with hunger. So typically ghrelin will rise um, before we eat a meal. And then once we're eating a satisfying meal, it would fall back down. And so what they found, which was fascinating, is this nutritionally identical milkshake. And those who had the indulgent milkshake, they did have that sort of normal rise and fall. Whereas the census shake, um, which you can also think of as this manipulated, restrictive diety mentality, where if you're dieting and you're thinking you're eating something low calorie, uh, your body might respond similar to these participants, which is where the ghrelin levels were relatively flat. So they weren't really experiencing that reduction in ghrelin that would be associated with satisfaction. And I believe, if I recall correctly, the participants also rated themselves as less satisfied. This idea of that myself and many of us maybe have experienced, which is when you are on a diet and you're eating diet food um, that is labeled as low calorie or just you know as low calorie, that it's not going to be associated with satisfaction and fullness, partly because your hormones are responding differently simply due to your mindset. So if people needed some motivation to work on reducing that restrictive mindset, reducing diet mentality, and why it's so essential, this is a cool study to show us why we need to. Yeah, it is so like that our mindset can control our hormones, that can control our behaviors. Pretty, yeah, pretty fascinating stuff. I 
they've done some really cool other studies as well. The MAID study, I think, I forget if they called it the MAID study, but they had um, hotel cleaning staff and they had them randomly assigned to just education about physical activity or they randomly assigned another group to keep the same level of activity, but they were told, hey, did you know that your activity level meets criteria for physical activity recommendations? So what you're doing is awesome. And they didn't change the behavior of what they were doing, but they changed their mindset around it. And they had a reduction in blood pressure and I believe a small amount of weight loss. And they measured their eating and their eating had not changed. So it was really just this mindset piece of like feeling like we're doing something good versus, you know, what many of us are bombarded with, which is like, do more, you got to do more. So some of these like people with really active jobs were feeling this pressure of like, I got to do this active job, but I haven't been exercising. So I got to like go and walk or go to the gym or do something else after work and just relieving that pressure, improve their blood pressure and I believe a little bit of weight changes, if I recall correctly. So there's a couple other really fascinating studies um, about that too, but there's more and more mounting evidence about the role and the powerful impact of mindset. I love that work. I don't know if you ever have this. I think because I used to personally interpret mindset as like, you're supposed to have a positive mindset and I don't and like frustration with it. But I think it can be really empowering when we learn the true tools that we can help parts of ourselves that have been restrictive in the past and really understand their function. It can go a long, long way in terms of, you know, feeling really good in our bodies. Mm -hmm. Even with the cleaning staff study, the positive feedback and probably how and who delivered it and the importance of how professionals and providers deliver positive feedback. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Like where the people come in and they're like, I've been bad. I haven't been exercising enough. And just having a provider to be able to say like, Hmm, let's get curious. Like what, what do you mean? Tell me more. Um, and listening first, but just also being like, like you exercised quite a bit this week. (laughs) Um, Like, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like (laughs) sometimes we can't, people can't see it until it's fed back to them. Mm -hmm. Do you have any book recommendations, trainings, or other resources for this specific question? You know, I I do, it kind of does depend on, like, you could send, you could have clients listen to this episode, right? I think that, I mean, I know it's geared a little bit more towards providers. I do actually have our episode, this wasn't that long ago for clients that, oh yeah, working with your inner critic to build healthy habits, episode 84 of the podcast. Um, So I think that can be a nice one of looking at, and there's other ones I'm still finding. And I would imagine I will continue to find the parts model most helpful. And I think the cool thing is too, with that, if it can sometimes be challenging to navigate for clients on their own, depending on the client, I think for some people it resonates really well and other people um, it doesn't, but I I do love the No Bad Parts book, um, and I've referenced that on the podcast before by Richard Swartz, who's the you know founder and creator of Internal Family Systems Theory. That's a really cool book that has audio exercises. So if a client or a professional wanted to work with, so working with our own parts as a professional makes us much better at working with the parts of our clients. So you could even start with it. It's not geared specifically towards relationship with food or disordered eating, but your internal family systems was actually developed first for 
individuals with bulimia. So it's good stuff. So I would almost say go there because maybe if, if a client is really like sciencey, you might send them the, the mindset, you know, episode 84. So know your client, right? But if they want to dig into that deeper work and understand how, you know, trauma and past hurts can really kind of keep them stuck, um, I would just have them dive right into the, the IFS no bad parts book or have the, the provider do the same. I'll have to look into that too. It's good. <laughs> it's good stuff. Okay, awesome. I know we had talked about maybe having some example language to say, like with a certain clients, I know what to do, but I'm just not motivated enough or I'm being lazy. I think those are really nice opportune times to say. And again, this is where disclosure as a professional, if you're willing like to just share a little bit about like even just acknowledging all the work that they've done let's say like you have so much knowledge you have so much you just called yourself not motivated but I'm going to beg to differ that you're an incredibly motivated human being and when we do feel like we're just not motivated really what it is is there's different parts of ourselves that are fighting and polarized with each other and it can be really immobilizing and stuck so you know there's a decent chance that they have a really motivated part and they maybe have another part that's tired and then they might have like a critical part in there that's trying they're all kind of like fighting with each other because let's be honest like all of us have things that we'd love to do and we haven't figured out a way to implement yet so Again, the the parts language for me is like a very non-pathologizing, easy way to say, even if it's like for me right now, I'm still kind of working on it. I'm getting a little more progress of like going to bed earlier. And instead of being like, what's wrong with me? I just need to go to bed earlier. This is ridiculous. Get your life together, right? Um, That self-critical part, I, I listen to that. But then I listen to there's this other part of me that's having me stay up. And its intention is really just to help me have some downtime, to help me have some fun. So I think when you can have that approach for yourself as a provider, it can help you to more readily approach your clients with that same compassion and be like, hmm, yeah, here's one way to think about it. And to really help these parts step back from being so critical, a really good therapist could probably help you a ton with that. What specific resources do you recommend to give clients for therapy? So we have, um, well, you, Taylor, has helped me to put together some really great resources. We're going to link them all in our show notes. Um, so there's there's a variety of different resources. I mean, I think ideally you have resources in your community, people that you directly can refer to. I did and will link to in the show notes my colleague and friends, Dr. Sapna Doshi, her practice mindbodyva.com is great if someone can pay out of pocket it's a wonderful practice and so I can anyone can send anyone to there if insurance isn't a barrier if people are looking to use insurance um, we have a bunch of resources on lower cost or no cost options so we're also going to link all of that in the show notes and I think just if you can do a little legwork with your clients you don't have to find everything for them but just to kind of meet them where they're at, see what their barriers are cost-wise, see what their concerns are, and just build some relationships in, in your own community. But those are some resources that like MindBodyVA, they can see people in I think close to like 30 or 40 states now. So I wanted to at least give that reference as, as has good people there. So you're going to get someone really good. There's push to have more access for more people. So you just may have to do a little digging. And if you as a provider can do a little extra digging for your clients, um, it can go a long way. Okay, yay. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Taylor, for helping me talk about this important topic. And I'd be curious if you listened, did it make sense? And if you have further questions like this or really any question um, as someone who is trying to help someone with disordered eating or healing their relationship with food and you have questions about things, make sure you reach out to me and maybe we'll answer them on the podcast. Thank you all for being here and we'll see you next time. And before we finish today's episode, I have a really quick message from a special guest, my daughter. Please review from my mom's podcast make something for my mom's podcast please thank you thank you for tuning in today your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here despite the title of this podcast many of our topics are not always easy change is hard and let's face it life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable that's why i'm grateful grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.